0: Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF, Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Now you can also head on over to Instagram and find me there at Dogcast, And well, if the visual thing is more your thing, you can find my YouTube channel. Go over there and click subscribe at youtube.com slash speakadogcast. And if you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, or leave me a review if you're on YouTube, click the thumbs up. I would greatly appreciate it. Now on today's show, we're going to talk about off-leash training, how to get your dog off-leash, how to work that off-leash training safely, carefully, and of course, making sure your dog knows how to focus and listen. Then comes mind games. We're going to talk about other ways to stimulate your dog, keep them happy, keep them healthy, and make sure they're not only physically stimulated, but their brains are as well. Then we have the history of animal mascots 101, followed by the listener QA. And if you have questions for the listener QA, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you today's trivia question. And that question is going to be What is the most popular pet in the world? Yes, what is the most popular pet in the world? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around. Sit. Stay and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaky Dogcast, Off Leash Training. The first thing I have to say is, got to give the disclaimer. When we talk about off leash training, I need you guys to be well educated and well aware of the laws, ordinances, Any of those things that are going to come into play, neighborhood rules even, um, any of those things, any of those items, any of those rules, restrictions that are going to come into play when we talk about off-leash dog training. You know, for myself, right away, everybody that lives in Florida, right, I live in Florida, there are leash laws in the state of Florida that flat out state that you cannot have your dog out in public off-leash. It's that simple. If you're in a public location, your dog must be restrained on a six-foot or less six foot leash, yes, which this is why it kind of gets me, I don't know why the uh, uh, runaway or extendable leashes, I don't know why they get the little asterisk next to this rule, kind of blows my mind, because the law does state six feet or less of a leash. So for some reason, stores can illegally, yes, illegally, because it is, uh, sell those extendable leashes, you know, whatever, it's a gray area. Um, even though it's not. <laughs> so again, the, the disclaimer is that please make sure that you know your local laws and what is allowed to be done with your dog on off leash, right? Off leash, on leash. Okay. Uh, know the rules guys, know the rules. Now for me personally though, I like to tell all my clients in Florida that even though I cannot advocate you working your dogs off leash, walking your dogs off leash in a public location, I think it is important that you do work on it. God forbid someone leaves the door open. Uh, God forbid a leash snaps, a collar snaps. um, Things happen, you know? And the problem is if your dog doesn't know what to do when things happen, doesn't know what to do when the leash disappears, if they've never had that experience, then things may not go so great when those, hopefully, far and few between, or never, uh, hopefully, right? When those experiences do happen, though, your dog will at least know what to do. So I advocate for training your dog to be in an off-leash situation. I don't necessarily advocate in my state, right, to therefore take your dog's off-leash out in public. Um, you know, even just yesterday, my favorite park to go to, it's, it's, it's a love-hate relationship with this park. What can I say? And it's not the park's fault. It's the people's fault. Um, you know, I, I give this woman credit at, be, credit because at least she waited until we were gone, Um, I'm walking my dogs, you know, a bunch of dogs maybe like eight dogs. There's another gentleman walking his dog. And I can see basically she's kind of pulled over to the side with her doodle. Doodle's in a sit and stay, you know, he's behaving himself. He's, he's being fine. So whatever. And the gentleman walks by and and then she's, you can clearly see she's waiting. And then I walk by with, um, my pack. And the second we get past her, she takes her dog off leash and goes, all right, unless the dog bolt releases the dog, and the dog bolts down the trail. Now, personally, guys, I'm not okay with this. For multitude of reasons, even if you were in a state with it's okay for your dog to be off leash, I don't think there's ever a time it's okay to just release your dog on public walkways and public trails and let them just go 100 feet away from you. I just don't think that's safe. And first of all, I don't think it's fair to other people. Whether your dog has a good recall or not, I will say I'm not really a fan of just letting your dog have total freedom unless you're in a dog-friendly area, unless you're in a dog park, unless you're in a dog off-leash dog-friendly park, something like that. Not dogs are welcome, like a true dog-style park. There's a big difference. You know what I mean? Look, I've been out on these trails at this park before, out, and I'm talking out like a mile out in these hiking trails where there's nobody else around, and you'll come around a corner, and all of a sudden, this happened to me one time, it's happened multiple times, but this one time, these two German Shepherds, big dogs, came barreling around the corner with no owner in sight. They're a good 30, 40 feet away from me, thank goodness, at that point. But, what if I was just a hiker and I'm scared of dogs? And here's these two dogs off leash coming around the corner at me. Owners are nowhere in sight. So to me, guys, it's just a common courtesy type of thing. Just do the right thing. If you're going to work your dog off leash, keep them in a nice, reasonable distance from you, okay? Uh, Because it's just a pet peeve of mine that not everybody wants your dog all up in their business, you know, like that's, that's not why people, everybody goes out in the public is to have dogs all up in their crap. So, <laughs> okay, food for thought. All right. So now that we got all the disclaimer kind of crap out of the way, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, let's talk about how we actually train off leash work, off leash, well, off leash with our dogs. Now, look, I always say it has to start on leash, right? Off-leash training must start on leash because it's the only way you're ever going to be able to remove the leash and have success. So if you cannot train your dog on two feet of leash, if your dog does not listen on two feet of leash, if they don't focus on two feet of leash, if you don't have the ability to redirect your dog's focus on two feet of leash, off-leash is out of the question for the moment, okay? I'm just being honest. Um... That's, I think, one of the biggest mistakes people make with off-leash training is their dog is not good enough on-leash and then they pop the leash off hoping it's gonna go well and it doesn't and then before you know it, you've undone any work you had made, Uh, any progress, rather, you had made, you have now undone. So the first thing and first and foremost with off-leash training is your dog must be wonderful on leash. Okay. Your dog has to be wonderful on leash for us to be able to expect any off-leash training to happen. So that's the first thing we have to note. If we do not have focus from our dog on a regular old six foot leash, forget off-leash training. Okay. So that's where it's going to begin. We've talked about my kissy noise exercise, ad nauseum, uh, kissy noise, call the dog's name, get him to look at you, treat below the chin to create that eye contact, hold the eye contact, and then reinforce and reward. We wanna start this at home, we wanna start this well before we walk out the door on our walk. If I have that focus to begin with, it makes it a lot easier to keep it or regain it if I need it once we get out the door on the walk. Now we're not getting into depth on how to create the walk, but guys, I'm here to tell you, off-leash training starts with a proper walk, not just proper leash work, but then we extend it from the leash work starts at home, and then we extend it to a proper walk walk, continuing that leash work on the walk. If I can't walk with my dog and create focus and keep focus and redirect from distractions and all these things that come with proper leash work and proper walks, the off-leash is never going to get there, okay? Look, it's it's true. The, one of the biggest ways I start off-leash training is by literally just dropping the leash and letting the dog drag it while we continue walking, okay? Um, it's, it, it, it's one of these things where You have to, you know, you have to, you have to crawl before you can run, walk before you run, whatever (laughs) that damn term is, um, that phrase, but you have to take these baby steps before you can expect the off leash to just be wonderful. So once my walk is solid, my dog is great. Then I'm going to start like, let's say I'm getting back toward my house in my neighborhood. We're on the walk. I'm three or four houses away. This is the first time I'm going to do, I might just drop the leash. Don't even say anything. Don't even say anything, you're walking, we have a good pace going, your dog's trotting along, they're focused, I'm just gonna drop the leash and start letting him drag it. And they might step on it, they might get a little confused, no big deal, we're just gonna cry. Come on, keep coming, keep coming with me, good boy. Okay. Just like you would as if you were holding the leash in your hand, right? And in your dog's brain, if you have established and reinforced and conditioned enough that when this leash is on, we listen, we focus, we go with, then dropping it isn't going to be that much of a difference, right? And going back, you know, what I try to do is again, within about two to three, four houses uh, uh, within my home. So I'm at a safe distance. It's a familiar area for my dog. I'm going to drop the leash and I'm just going to start turning. Okay. I'm going to start turning and go in the other direction. See if my dog follows me, encourage them to follow me. When they do, I give a reward. Then I'm going to turn right back and go back toward the house, other direction, get them to follow me, encourage them to follow me, reward. This is where off leash starts. Okay. Now, with this said, a little side note, what we're kind of doing and creating in, in a little bit of roundabout way, yes, we're walking with our dog, but we're almost kind of doing a recall, right? If you kind of think about it, this is almost like the recall exercise, because your dog is probably going to stop a little bit. And you have to encourage them to come with you. Sorry, Coco almost popped in there. Uh, you know, so you're actually getting them to follow you and come back to you and come with you. It's a recall command. So while, yes, starting with the walk at home is how we... Another exercise, a side note, right? Another exercise we can do to start encouraging off leash is that recall. Now, I've talked about the recall before, getting your dog to come back to you. Lots of segments on this, guys. Be sure you go check it out, but it's gonna start at home. It's going to start in the backyard in a contained environment, getting our dog to come back to us. So if I have the power of a walk and focus and control on the walk and the power of a recall, You can see, right, baby steps, crawling before we're walking, walking before we're running. If we do these things in the proper order, then once I drop that leash, my dog already has the knowledge of walks and recall. It's easy to take these things and extend them, right? Condition that behavior even further, extend the behavior. So that's where it's going to begin. Once I drop the leash, I'm incorporating the walk and the recall, okay? So... Um, off leash training, let's, you know, we'll we'll go over the recall really quick in a nutshell for you. Okay. Let's just talk about the recall. Basically, we're going to be in our yard, in a backyard contained. We're going to put on a nice long training leash, something like a 20 or 30 foot long regular, it's a regular leash, just 20, 30 feet long training leash. You can find them on Amazon, on Chewy, uh, everywhere, training pet stores, whatever training leash. Okay. Then I'm going to call my dog's name and reel them in using the leash, getting them to come to me, not giving them an option, giving them a treat right away. Right, so we're autopilot piloting that, getting them to come back to you, call kissy noise, right? There's kissy noise, baby steps. So you see how this all, it's it's just it's cumulative. Dog training is cumulative. If you take the proper baby steps and you add them up, off leash training can actually be relatively easy. Asterisk. <laughs> easy, but potentially dangerous. Please be careful when we're doing off-leash training. If I am going to drop this leash uh, out of my neighborhood walking in the street, I'm going to make sure I'm doing it at a time of day when there aren't cars coming and going like crazy, right? Be smart about these things, okay? So with that baby steps, let's let's also progress smartly as well. Smartly? Mm, sure, I'm going to roll with that. All right, So so that's how we do the recall. That was kind of the nutshell version, getting them to come to me fast, and we're just extending that. That's all we're doing with off leash training is extending that. Now, if we've been practicing the recall really well at home and we've been practicing the walks really well and we started practicing dropping the leash and getting them to follow us, Then we might want to take our off-leash training up a notch. Sure, we've got off-leash walks. That's an off-leash walk. That's how we train a walk is by turning, getting them to follow, turning them, getting them to follow, reward, right? But what about a recall out in public? What if we take the recall up a notch? There's different aspects of off-leash training, right? There's there's off-leash walking. What about an off-leash recall in public? Now, again, my Florida friends, I can't exactly advocate for you guys to do this because it is against the law. You can do this in a dog park or something like that. Um, some parks will allow you to go to like a baseball field, close the gates. Mm, I can't exactly advocate for that either, but hey, there's another closed environment you can do that in. Uh, but I like to take my dogs out into public where there's more distractions. When we're ready for it, of course, we're ready for it. Um, but start working on the recall out in a field. If your rules and states and laws allow it, start working on a recall out in a field. We're going to take that extended, uh, the extendable training leash, excuse me, not the extendable I really just said that, not the extendable training leash, a regular training leash, the 20, 30 foot nylon leash. We're gonna bring that out to a field with us and we're gonna start practicing out in public safely, carefully, making sure that leash is still within reach. Okay, this is how we can up our off-leash training. Now another thing I recommend is if we're working in a field and we're doing this off-leash recall, we can also bring a a, a place or a spot with us, right? Now look, we've talked about the spot command quite a bit as well. A spot can be any type of reference for your dog. When I go to a park, I tend to not wanna bring, like you don't wanna bring, if you've got a 70 pound dog, you don't wanna bring a giant dog bed to the park with you. That's what you're using at home. We can start to make the mark even smaller, or excuse me, the spot, the mark. Mark is another word for a spot that we used to use back in the day, uh, back in like movie training days, the spot, um, excuse me, the mark, get on your mark. If you think about Hollywood, they ask actors to get on their mark. Same concept. We can actually teach our dogs to go anywhere. So, sorry, long story short, let me wrap it up in a nutshell for you. Um, I take a two by four. And what I like to do is I'll take that two by four, you know, about like two feet long piece of two by four wood. And I'll actually wrap it in black, um, something called gaffer's tape. Some of you guys might've heard of that. I like to use gaffer's tape because it's a little more, uh, uh, has a little more texture and felt to it. It's not like slippery like duct tape. So I'll use gaffer's tape and I will just wrap that piece of wood completely in gaffer's tape. So it's black, Okay, so, it, it, so it's got that reference for them, so it's um, not gonna obviously splinter and hurt their paws. That's another reason I like to wrap the piece of wood and tape. Anyway, I teach my dog to go to a spot first using a dog bed, and then we make the spot smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that they'll just put their feet on a two by four. Okay, this taped two by four. Now I have a tool that I can easily just grab, bring with me to the park, throw on the ground, say, hey, go to your spot. Go to your mark, go to your place, go to your station, whatever we say, okay, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Um, And now I have a reference point. So now not only am I working a recall, but I'm actually working a spot command. And that spot command, as we've talked about, can give your dog that neutral positioning. And that way, when we do have distractions walking by us in the park, I can say, hey, go to your spot. They go, they stand on their spot, they know they're supposed to stay there. Having that reference point can really go a long way with off-leash training And giving your dog that neutral position where you need them to stay. There's a distraction. There's a dog barking its head off and I can tell the owner doesn't have very good control. I need my, you know what, go to your spot, stay, good. Good, watch me, good boy, feed. Good, watch me, good boy, feed. Okay. Um. Having that spot can really do a lot to help your dog focus on you and not focus on other things. It helps create that focus by having that reference point there. We've talked about this spot uh, before, but we hadn't talked too much about getting it down to like a smaller spot that's portable that we can bring out with us. Um, we do off leash training in public. So I do recommend bringing a training leash with you once we do get it out to the point that we wanna start working off leash in a park or uh, whatever public location you're allowed to do in your area. But we wanna bring in a long training leash treats and treat pouch in that spot. Those three things are going to be very important to getting your dog focused and getting that off leash training solid. But again, guys, just rewind, rewind, rewind. This all starts, all this off leash training, all this amazing work starts with two feet of leash and getting our dogs to focus on two feet of leash. Then we work it up to six feet a leash, 10 feet of leash at home, right? Then we start working on the walks and creating focus on the walks, getting them to ignore distractions on leash, on the walk, right, this is the building blocks, this is the process. Once I feel like I've got great focus for my dog, they know how to ignore distractions, they're really with me, I don't have to constantly manipulate the leash to get them to follow me, that's when I might start being ready to drop the leash a little bit. Now simultaneously, we've been working on a spot command at home, all these other things, okay, creating that focus, right? Dropping the leash, letting the dog drag it, encouraging them to follow, encouraging them to come with us, rewarding as we do, as they do rather, as they continue to follow. Once we're ready, we go out into public. Now we have our spot command, our training leash, our treats, our treat pouch. We've been working the walk. We've been working recall. We've been working all these things. So when we get our dog out into public, we've given them all this information to work with. So when the leash disappears, they go, yeah, I know what to do. (laughs) Okay. Off-leash training is one of those things where you can't do enough of it, you can't do enough practicing. You cannot practice off leash training enough before you truly test them out. My point is condition, 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 strengthen, strengthen, strengthen these focusing behaviors, the walking behaviors, all of these things. You need to spend potentially months and months working on these things before you can expect your dog to be doing well off leash. It's a process, guys. Dog training is a process. It takes time and it takes dedication. It takes repetition, consistency, and of course, the right knowledge and information, okay? So again, off-leash training is something I cannot advocate my clients do in the state of Florida as you are not allowed to be out in public with your dog off-leash. I'm not gonna say the... The gray area of that rule, because I don't need people breaking the rules and blaming me for it. Uh, There is a gray area of the rule if you want to figure that out on your own and read it on your own Floridians, feel free. But I still recommend you have control of your dog, of course, and you uh, work your dog off leash in a controlled environment, so God forbid they do get off leash, they know what to do. right, I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. Okay, <laughs> all right, so again guys, it's important that you start slowly, walk before you run with your dogs, and make sure you reinforce and strengthen focus the walks and the recall, because that is what's most important to getting your dog off leash. of your dog barking all the time or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around well, we can help at the nature of training and speak a dog cast we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets no matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing from an unruly puppy to more severe issues we can help our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Done. Speak A Dog Cast, Mind Games. I don't want your dog playing mind games on you. No, uh, I want you to be a step ahead of your dog. But what we're really talking about is creating stimulating games for your dog, stimulating things for your dog to do so they don't get bored. Boredom usually equals anxiety or destruction or even depression in dogs. And of course, those are all behaviors that we want to Avoid. So in order to avoid them, we're gonna talk about things to keep your dogs happy, healthy, and stimulated. So what can we do to stimulate our dogs? The number one most important thing that I'm always going to emphasize, no matter what we're talking about, it's going to be the walk, guys. The walk, the walk is the best game that you could possibly play With your dog, it's not a game; it's serious business. Uh, We've talked about the walk how many times? Look, just going over it, I I can't substitute. I just, I can't, I can't substitute any brain game, any puzzle. I'm gonna buy at the pet store. There is absolutely nothing out there. In all my experience, all my knowledge, all the time I've been training dogs, the thousands and 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 thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours I have spent working and training with dogs. I am here to tell you, nothing absolutely nothing, no amount of anything is going to substitute for a walk. You heard it right. You heard it right, folks. There is nothing that is going to substitute the walk for your dog, okay? Um, look, short of living on a farm, I mean, there are always exceptions to my rules, aren't there? I always say there's always maybe this tiny little exception. If you, if you live down on a farm and that's all you do all day and your dog has a serious job or you're a police dog, even then, they're still going for walks, believe it or not. Um, yeah. So, look, it's just, it goes back to what a dog is at their core. And we cannot change this. No matter how much we domesticate a dog, no matter how fluffy and cute and adorable we make dogs look, it's never going to change the fact that at their core, they're a wolf. They are domesticated wolves. And nothing's ever going to change that just as nothing is ever going to change that you or I are domesticated homo sapiens. I mean, you know what I mean? We are domesticated cavemen, whether we like to admit that and realize that or not. And that's a lot of why we still have violence and ego and all these things that get in the way. It's, It's our predecessors. It's our ancestors in the DNA and the evolution that came along with it that created what we are. But again, I can't take the back of the brain that's still there. It's still there. And those instinctual needs that I have, that you have, that we all have, they go back to what we are at our basic core. And so it's not going to be any different with your dog. So there is going to be nothing in this world that can substitute the amount of stimulation and fulfillment your dog gets from a proper walk. You know, a couple episodes ago, I kind of ranted about it. I did because I'm frustrated at how people do not walk their dogs enough. and. I just, it just, it makes me crazy because people will sit here and complain about their dog's behavior with this and their dog's behavior with that and that but, but. they do this, they whine too much, they they have too much energy, they bounce off the walls, they're destroying my couch, they're whining at people, they bark at people, they're aggressive, they're possessed. Besa- So many of these problems would be solved if people properly walked their dogs. I cannot stress this enough. So I know I don't wanna go too much off onto the walk today. I know you guys are probably sick of hearing it. I hope you are, because you should be, because you should be walking your dog. Get out there, walk your dog, guys. Proper walk, nothing's gonna substitute for it, okay? That's it, that's all we're gonna say on it. All right, so how about other things we can do? Because there are other things, don't get me wrong. Look, especially like it's wintertime or it's summertime, opposite temperature same problem (laughs) you can't go outside if you have 20 feet of snow on the ground that's probably a big exaggeration unless you live in the middle of the tundra uh but you can't go outside and and just romp around with your dog necessarily especially if you have a chihuahua and you live up north winter is not your best friend when it comes to walks same thing with floridians in the summer and for that matter so many people in the united states in in the summer um It just, it's not your best friend. You can't go outside past like 9 or 10 a.m. And then you can't go outside again until like 7 or 8 p.m. Because it's just too darn hot for your dog. So what do we do in these times? Well, guys, like summer, that's my expertise. That's my bread and butter. Um, I'm a big fan of swimming, right? Like taking our dog swimming. It's one of the best things we can do to not only cool off, but to give our dogs exercise and mental stimulation, Okay. Obviously, you have to be careful in Florida. You can't just go swim in any old body of water. You really need to be cautious of that. Um, But swimming is one of my favorite summertime activities to help not substitute for a walk because we still wake up early and do a walk. We just, I can't like some, I love to go for two hour walks. Sometimes I can't do that in the summer. I just can't, it's not possible. We'll we'll die. Um, (laughs) It's just not happening. So we'll substitute where we do a big, good hour long walk and then come back and do some swimming as well. Right? So swimming is just one of my favorite summertime activities for the pups. They can fetch, they can play, they can just enjoy, they can cool off. It's, it's just a great way to get good stimulation, you know? Um, other things we can do uh, for stimulation. Now, again, wintertime. I know you guys can't do that. So let's talk about some indoor stuff. Lots of people already do this. You know, you play with your dogs inside. And look, playtime. Playtime in general is a great way for your dog to get exercise and absolutely some mental stimulation. And there's even that bonding uh, affection that kind of goes with playtime. So it's definitely a good bonding experience for your dog. But I want you to up playtime. I want you to take playtime to a different level. I want you to start incorporating commands into playtime. Look, we've talked about a leave it and a drop it before. Leave it and a drop it, a stay, um, heck, even a sit, you know, just the basic commands are so awesome for playtime. I'm going to get my dog to drop a toy, right? Drop it. That Boom. Stimulation level number one. <laughs> Teaching them to drop it. They drop it, then I might t- tell them to stay and then throw the toy, getting them to stay, throw the toy, make them watch me, and then release them to the toy see how much stimulation it makes them actually think about what the, oh i have to pay attention i have to wait for dad to release me okay now i go versus just throw the toy get it throw the toy get it throw the toy get it. that extra element is he gonna do it is he not is he gonna make me wait is it that extra thought process guys i can't stress enough i can't stress enough how much that makes your dog uh stimulated that those extra little steps you take how about to take the toy and put it in front of their face and say leave it and they have to leave it and wait until they release it and then they can grab it and drag it. And they love that stuff, guys, they love it. My dogs love when we incorporate commands into playtime. Okay, so think about different ways that you can take your own commands or add in new commands like a sit, a stay, a leave it, a drop it, um, a watch me once I throw the, that's one of my favorite. You wanna, you wanna really get control with your dog, really, really see that you have their focus. If you can get your dog to sit and stay and throw a toy, that's step number one, that's already fantastic. But if you can get your dog to not look at the toy, look away from the toy and look at you, ooh, that's awesome, guys. That's something you should work toward, okay? So I want you to write that one down, okay? Work up toward these things. Now we can also take it up another notch. What about hiding a toy? For those of us that have dogs with great noses, I like to pick one particular toy. Find a toy they really like, and I like to only bring that toy out for this thing, for this one little exercise, okay? Especially dogs that have good noses. If it's a smelly toy, it's got a scent on it or maybe rub some treats on it to give it a scent. Um, All kinds of things. I want to put my dog in a sit and a stay. And I'm going to make sure they stay. And then I'm going to, first time I'm going to do it, I'm just going to take the toy and maybe put it behind, let them see me put the toy behind the couch. So it's out of sight, but they watched me do it and then release them and let them go get it. Do that a couple times. Then we're going to do sit, stay. I'm going to go a little further away and hide the toy. Still letting them watch me do it. Release them, let them go find it. Okay, you can see what we're working up toward. We're working up to the point, point I used to love doing this exercise with my golden retriever, Colby Jack. He was just phenomenal at this, and he loved this exercise. I got it to a point where I'd put him in a sit and stay, I and I would walk around the entire house. I mean, I'd hide the toy behind my back so he couldn't see, and I'd walk around in all these different rooms so he wouldn't know where I dropped it off and then release him, and he always found it. He was so good. He'd put that in, I mean, he'd tail go, he'd get so excited to go on a mission and give him something to do. So, all kinds of fun games, even inside, we can create for our dogs. We can use those commands, we can get them to stay and make them sniff it and find it. Going to those puzzles, right? People often ask me, hey, you know, do you see these puzzles they sell at the putt stores? What do you think of them? I'll be honest, guys, they're they're boring. <laughs> like they're boring. They're fun for your dog the first two times, and then they figure out how to lift the lid, and that's it. Whoop-dee-doo. But me changing where I'm hiding a toy, sometimes I go in one room, sometimes I go in five room. That variation, that's what brings your dog stimulation. The same boring damn thing over and over and over gets boring to your dog, guys. That's why even just when I do like even commands without like, let's forget playtime. What about just some basic commands, some basic fun commands, giving me a paw, lie down on your back, roll over, play dead, whatever, all kinds of fun stuff we can teach our dogs. Um, It just goes such a long way. And when I'm doing commands, I can change it up. I can vary my routine versus a puzzle on the floor that the damn thing stays exactly the same every time. And all I got to do is lift the lid and find a treat. That's not much stimulation, guys. It's just not. Like stop buying crap, you don't need to buy crap. You can, you can make games at home without having to buy anything from the pet store short of a treat or a toy right? Um, so start getting creative with it. Think of, think of different ways you can stimulate your dog. Now, of course, there's all the other outdoor ways, guys. We talked about swimming. What about like agility class? I am all for agility class. You know, there's rally-o if that's if that suits your needs and you want to do something like that. Um, but there's great ways to get out there and keep our dog stimulated, happy, and healthy. The key to it is varying it up, making sure it's something they enjoy, right? Like, let's do it for dogs. Like, think how a dog thinks. They like finding stuff, they like using their nose, they like chasing. Uh, barn, the scent hunt, the barn hunts, are something I think is actually pretty cool. Uh, a lot of rescues I've seen in the area, it's a good way to promote rescues as well as get community involvement, all that. They put on these barn hunts where dogs will actually hunt uh, through bales of hay and stuff and mazes and have to find treats and things. Cool stuff, you know, I'm all for it. Change it up, keep it varied. How about little things? Little things you may not think of: car rides, taking your dog in the car uh, to go drop the kids off at school. To, to now, please be careful, guys. Please don't be leaving your dogs in the cars. Like I, I, I shouldn't have to say this, but disclaimer: don't leave your dogs in the cars unattended. Come on, like let's be smart about this. Okay, it's it too hot in the cars, even when it's not that hot out, even not in the dead of summer. Your dogs can die from heat exhaustion in the cars very quickly. Very easily so please please be smart about when you do take your dog out in the car but you'd be surprised what a car ride can even do to provide stimulation changing it up variation different types of stimulation that's what keeps your dog engaged and happy and healthy but once again, as I'm going to stress it, nothing, and I repeat, absolutely nothing short of your dog being a full-time 100% working dog, which, guys, let's just be real. The majority of you out there listening, that is just not the case. So I'm talking to you. The vast majority of you, nothing out there, nothing, not not like nothing is going to substitute for a walk. I cannot stress this enough. I cannot say this enough times. I cannot scream it from the rooftops loud enough. Please. Get out there and walk your dogs. It is the best form of stimulation. It is the best form of enrichment and the best form of fulfillment you can give your pup. All right, so we talked about all the fun different ways we can stimulate. It could be something as simple as a car ride. It could be swimming. It could be playtime with other dogs. We would even talk about socialization. How important is that? I know I don't need to go over because you guys already know that. Get your dogs out to doggy day camps. Socialize them with your friends' dogs. Even just going out for a walk and seeing your neighbor's dogs can be great enrichment because you're walking your dog. Okay, uh, but we can also do those home fun games. Turn playtime into stimulation time, right? Take it up a notch. Start incorporating your commands into playtime and, and giving your dog a little something extra to do. Puzzles are they're one or two, maybe three time off kind of stimulation, guys. Just not going to do it. Change it up varying it up uh making it different fun and exciting for your dog and you'll be enriching your dog and they'll be happier and healthier i promise guys but remember get out there and walk your dog no other substitute for keeping your dog healthy engaged and happy the answer to today's trivia question what is the most popular pet in the world well, it's dogs, of course. Yes, it is estimated that approximately one third of homes in the entire world have at least one dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of animal mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Oregon. Now, the University of Oregon was founded in 1876, and they have possibly one of the most lovable mascots in all of college sports. It's the duck, (laughs) yes, the Oregon Ducks. Now, originally they were referred to as the Webfoots as early as the 1890s, and the name ended up evolving into the Ducks by the early 20th century. Now, the term Webfoot, it comes from a group of fishermen that were originally from Massachusetts who had been heroes during the Revolutionary War their descendants settled in Oregon's Willamette Valley in the 19th century, and the name stuck with them. Now, The Webfoot name became official in 1926 during a naming contest, and a student vote in 1932 sealed the deal with Webfoot winning over other mascots such as the Pioneers, the Trappers, the Lumberjacks, the Wolves, and the Yellow Jackets. The Duck Association started catching on in the 1920s, and a live white duck named Puddles, I love it, started making appearances at sporting events. Now, Puddles and his descendants were brought to games until the 1940s after repeated complaints from the Humane Society put a stop to all the fun. Um, But the duck stuck around. Yes, drawings and student publications began popping up with a duck that resembled the infamous Donald Duck from Walt Disney. Yeah. Now, by 1947, Walt Disney himself became aware of the issue. Copyright in front of, you know, uh, But it was Oregon's first athletic director uh, director, Leo Harris, who met with Walt and came to a handshake agreement that the school could continue to use the likeness of Donald so long as it was done in good taste. Now, Walt died in 1966 and so did well much of the memory of this agreement. Now, when lawyers for Disney questioned the usage of Donald's image in the 1970s, The school relied on a picture of Harris and Walt both shaking hands, wearing Oregon Letterman jackets with an Oregon Donald Duck logo as evidence of the agreement. Now, in 1973, both parties signed a new written agreement. Remember, boys and girls always get agreements in writing, uh, allowing the school to use the mascot for restricted use. And that Disney retained control over where and when the mascot would be seen in public and ensure that the person in the costume would, quote, properly represent the Donald Duck character. Now in 2010, a new agreement was reached between Disney and the university that removed the costumed Oregon Duck mascot from its association with the Donald Duck trademark. But this allowed the Duck to make more public appearances at the discretion of the university. Now the mascot in graphic art, which is more similar to Donald Duck than the rounder head and body of the costume, uh, is still going to be covered by that trademark agreement. Now the Oregon Duck remained the only duck, uh, the only duck mascot, excuse me, in any collegiate or professional capacity until the advent of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks franchise in the NHL in 1993. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Shannon from Nashville, Tennessee. Shannon says, I loved your History of Animal Mascot segment last week as I am a huge Vols fan. I know that must have been hard as a gator fan to do that. Yes, yes it was. Uh, <laughs> my question is about my bloodhound, Charlie. He is such a lover and such a good dog. He's been the best dog I've ever owned. But there is one thing. When he drinks, he likes to stick his entire nose into the water dish. And I do mean the entire thing. So when he lifts his head up and pulls back, he drips so much water everywhere, it makes a huge mess. Is there any way to get him to stop doing this? (laughs) Shannon, good question. Bloodhounds are messy drinkers to begin with. I mean, they my experience, they are. Especially if you have a big enough bowl and then the ears get in it too. <laughs> Doesn't sound like maybe you're having that problem though. Uh, look, hey, this is a tough one. I've had this problem once or twice before with dogs where they literally, I mean, the whole nose goes in the bowl. Like, it's like, what? Are you blowing bubbles? What are you doing? You, know? <laughs> you have to wonder what's going through their head when they do that. Um, look, it, it it's this comes down to it's a physical pattern, right? For whatever reason, I can't read his brain. I don't know why he's chosen to do this, uh, but it is a physical pattern that he thinks he goes into the bowl and sticks all noses. So, look, you got a couple options here. First option would be you don't let him drink unless he's leashed up, and so you're actually controlling how far his nose is going in, which is not always ideal because you don't want to restrict your dog's water drinkage too much. Like, I get it, you know what I mean? So that can be a little tough, and you have to physically be involved every time, and if he's a big bloodhound, that could also be, have its own um, you know, issues. <laughs> uh, another thing I would suggest is maybe don't fill the water bowl that much. Only fill it with small amounts of water at a time. Let him drink it, and then fill up a small amount more. Let him drink it. And see, it. this might, look, this could take weeks, this could take months physically repatterning it that way. So he isn't even able to stick his nose in. And that way, hopefully in a couple weeks, couple months, you fill up the bowl a little more and you see what happens. Hopefully he's not sticking his whole nose in it because simply he physically has not been practicing that behavior, okay? With that said, the other option is a smaller water bowl, okay, take it, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty obvious, right? Either one, we have to physically control it with leash and controlling the actual drinking itself. Two, we put less water in the water bowl at a time, but we are gonna, you know, you're gonna have to refill it more often, obviously. And the third one is get a smaller water dish that he can't get his nose in that much, okay? Um, another option you might wanna try is find, excuse me, find a, and this might take a little time, find a deeper slow feed bowl, all right? You've seen these little slow feed bowls that that have like divvied up areas um, that might make it harder for him to get his whole nose in there and i will have to lap the water out the same way a dog wouldn't be able to get their whole nose in to eat the food. Um, that might help control and slow down that drinking as well and not put his nose all the way in there. Um, you guys hear that snoring? <laughs> Sorry, I know I hate the. pause. Of course, he stops snoring once I be quiet. Those of you on the YouTube channel, you can see Riker. Um, I have this awesome beanbag chair behind me. He loves to pass out, and it's like his favorite place to lay. Anyway, <laughs> I can't help it. I hear the snoring in my in my ears and my headphones. Um, anyway, those are really your three options. Either physically control it, uh, lessen the water, or... Less in the water having to fill it more often or a smaller a smaller water bowl or a slow feed bowl, okay? To try to not allow him, because this is a physical pattern. You got to change the physical pattern. Uh, other than that, your only other option is a hell of a lot of towels. Good luck to you, Shannon. <laughs> Next question. This comes from Tina from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Tina says, I wanted to know how to get my dog to stop humping everything. He is not fixed, but my husband will not let me get him neutered. I'm not sure if that's the reason why or he thinks he needs to dominate things. What should I do to get him to stop? Okay, Tina. Um, Look, if he's not neutered, I mean, I have to admit, if you're a human being and you are a sexually able, willing adult and you couldn't, you might be frustrated. You know what I'm saying? Um, so a lot of times, yes, there can be sexual frustration built up in your dog that he's not able to get it out and he's trying to, I can't imagine having that all built up for that many years and not being able to do anything about it. So, you know, (laughs) we're, we're all animals at the end of the day, guys, we all have instinctual needs that are there. Uh, and that's one of them for dogs. So Look, to me personally, I'd say you need to get your dog neutered. I mean, that's, that's, that's the first biological, I can't fight biology, you know what I mean? You can try to get him to stop doing that and redirect that behavior, but biology is louder than psychology just is. So you can't fight biology to some degree. Is that what's happening? You know, I don't necessarily know, but being that he's not neutered, that most likely is a contributing factor to it. Uh, With that said, you might neuter him and he might still be humping just from the simple fact that it has become a behavioral pattern. And he might have to still break that pattern from a behavioral standpoint. So look, to me, when I address anything, um, when it comes to training and an issue, a behavioral issue we're having, the first thing we have to ask is, is there a biological issue going on here affecting things? Because if there is, we have to eliminate that biological factor. And if you can't eliminate that biological factor, you don't know how much that biological factor is contributing to the behavioral problem. Right? So, I would tell your husband, you need to have a talk. You know, you need to have a serious talk with your husband and go, we need to get this dog neutered. This is an issue. Okay. This is a problem. And not only that, it's not healthy mentally or physically. Would you want to be that physically or that mentally frustrated and physically frustrated? You know, the answer is no. Okay. So, you need to take away that frustration from your dog, as well as let's not even get into the litany of issues uh, or litany of reasons uh, health wise to neuter your dogs. It reduces cancer risk. I mean, there's just so many reasons. Guys, if you're not breeding your dog, if you're not breeding your dog, and most of you should not be breeding your dog, you need to get them spayed and neutered. Simple as that. So Tina, I'm sorry I can't just give you the quick fix here, but you gotta you gotta neuter your dog, and then perhaps hit it from a from a behavioral um, training side after the fact if the problem persists. So again, gotta eliminate the biological factor. If you don't, I, I don't know that I can fully help you there. So good luck, Tina. Please convince your husband. Tell him to listen to the podcast, and hopefully I can help you out there. <music> That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Dogcast. Find my YouTube channel at Dogcast, and become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review, give me that thumbs up. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pup support, Regula Wright and my dog friend Maureen Crossen. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.